We ready to rock and roll? All right. Hey, uh, thank you so much for coming out to uh, today's uh, Texas Tribune Festival event. It's so good to see you. My name is David Brown, and I'm the host of a program called The Texas Standard. I'm, I'm just curious, because this is a pretty good turnout. Uh, thank you for coming out. Uh, how many folks have heard The Texas Standard on the radio? Oh, wow. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Um, Texas Standard, we're now on 29 stations statewide. We're a daily, hour-long show for those of you who haven't heard the program. And uh, I wish there was like a 30th station we could get on just to have a round number, but, uh, but that's where we are. And, I, and this is making me especially proud since we got Joe Strauss over there. Y'all know that, right? And so the, the fact that, right, no, no, don't do that. Please stay here. Uh, please stay here. Uh, we're talking about an issue that obviously is close to a lot of pe- people's hearts, especially if you care about local communities, and that has to do with the issue of local controller, as some have um, uh, categorized the issue, uh, or seen it in another uh, light, perhaps, uh, local liberty. Uh, before we get started, a couple of things that the folks at the Texas Tribune Festival have asked me to ask you and to tell you about as we get started. So forgive me as, as I read this off the page. Here's the thing in radio, you're always hiding behind the microphone and no one can see you shuffling the papers. You're going to see it all today, so my apologies. I have poor eyesight, so I'm going to be reading off these papers. Uh, first of all, on behalf of the Texas Tribune, uh, very happy to welcome all of you to the seventh, this is the seventh annual Texas Tribune Festival. How many of you have been to multiple Texas Tribune festivals? The hardcore, all right. Uh, the title of this, of course, is Local Control versus Local Liberty, which is an interesting conjunction there, versus Local Liberty. Um, now, uh, this is a panel that is supported by the Texas Municipal League, and uh, even though sponsors and donors underwrite this event, we should uh, note that they play no role whatsoever in determining the event's content or the panelists, or for that matter, the questioning. And speaking of questioning, I'm hoping that if the panel goes along as I'm thinking it will, that we'll have enough time, hopefully, at the end, to maybe uh, take some questions from you all. So think about questions as we're going along, and we have some mics set up over there on the side of the room, and that'll come up a little later in our conversation. This event's going to last about 60 minutes, uh, and it will have that uh, 15 minutes, hopefully. And if you hear something that you would like to tweet out, uh, use this hashtag, hashtag TribFest17, TribFest17. But while you're playing with your phones, make sure it's set on mute, Uh, and that's something I have to say. Uh, I know that you've probably already taken care of that already. Uh, But let's go ahead and get started. And I want to get started with some introductions uh, or panelists, and you'll see why these individuals in particular were invited to this event. Sarah Eckhart is Travis County judge, and she presides over a commissioner's court, and she became Travis County's first female county judge in 2015. Uh, You've raised your hand, right? So everyone knows who you are. I have to remember, this is a radio. She got a Master of Public Affairs and Law degree from the University of Texas at Austin, uh, a true Longhorn. She worked for eight years as an assistant Travis County attorney. In 2006, she was elected to represent Precinct 2 on the Commissioner's Court. She's a member of several boards. She's a leader of several boards, indeed, from the Capital Area Metropolitan Planning Organization, CAMPO, to her role as chair of the Clean Air Coalition. She is, um, well, I think it's safe to say she got a good start, a good education in public service from her mother, Nadine. Uh, she was an aide to Lyndon Johnson and Molly Ivins, too, as well as a mother of four. And her father is a late congressman, Bob Eckhart. Judge Eckhart, welcome. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Well, 
Maybe we should just get, get the ball rolling here, Judge, and I'll just ask you a, a first question. Um, what are your concerns right off the bat about local control? Concern number one. I, I think my concern number one is that it's a, a false choice, this issue of local control versus liberty. Mm -hmm. I, I confess that I, I chafed a little bit at the title of this panel because I think um, they, they aren't antithetical. Local control is liberty in a democracy, right? Because we, uh, in, in a democracy, we elect our representatives to um, make decisions about community standards. That is liberty. That's the very definition of liberty. And so um, my main concern is that we uh, have a quality process and we respect that quality process in a democracy. I want to introduce Gina Inahosa. Uh, she is from Austin. She is in her first term representing uh, House District 49. She sits on the House Economic and Small Business Development, Homeland Security, and Public Safety and Administration Committees. That's a lot of committees. It wow. is. <laughs> um, she is a uh, graduate of UT's Plan 2, uh, which is a, a very interesting program. If you're not familiar with it, uh, Google it. Uh, she also got her law degree from George Washington University. Uh, previously, she has served on the Austin Independent School District Board of Trustees, and she has practiced law, specifically workforce discrimination law and wage theft. You hear this talk about uh, local control, and I believe Governor Abbott referred to the Californiaization of Texas. Oh, you're smiling. You've heard that. <laughs> uh, what do you make of, uh, of the conversation right now regarding local control? I also think the title is a misnomer, and I would, I would juxtapose local control with state overreach is what I would have called this panel. Oh. <laughs> but, um, um, but look, I served on a school board, and it is so much harder to govern in a local governmental entity than what we do at the Capitol. It's, the local governments have to make sure the trains run on time, have to make sure services are delivered to people. And um, we just kind of sit in the pink granite building and pontificate about what we think the world should be. We don't have those kinds of immediate responsibilities that people, that communities expect. And so I think that we need to pay deference to their job and do what we can to make sure we're empowering local communities that are democratically elected um, to provide the, 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 the best government they can for their community. I want to introduce Senator Don Huffines. He is from Dallas. He is a Republican, a fifth-generation Texan. Um, his grandfather founded the Huffines Auto Group in 1924, so that's how you may know that name if you don't know him as a senator. Uh, Don's, I uh, uh, should point out that that company, which Don's grandfather founded uh, back, back in the day, is still in family hands, and it's still in operation in the Dallas area. And now, I learned this last year after Senator Huffines told me about a bill he was pushing to scrap what he and some others consider to be uh, onerous auto inspection stickers, uh, you know, the, the inspection stuff. Uh, obviously not good for the family business, but it certainly is consistent with Senator Huffine's own libertarian-oriented philosophy. Uh, in 1985, uh, Don and his twin brother Philip started the Huffines uh, Communities, which is one of the largest real estate land development companies in the Dallas Metroplex. Senator Huffines is also a Longhorn, graduating from UT uh, in uh, 1981 with a finance degree, and he was first elected to the Texas Senate in 2014. Senator Huffines, great to have you on the panel. Oh, thank you, David. Appreciate it. We were talking a little bit about we're, with you. We, we were talking a little bit about this this issue of this this uh, word, a phrase, 
local liberty and where it came from. And when I had, I'd never heard local control versus local liberty either. And I, I was wondering where that came from. Did a little Google searching. Uh, and the first thing that, I, I, well, the first uh, mention of it that I was able to find was in a paper from the Texas Public Policy Foundation, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, which seemed to be, well, let me ask you, what does local liberty, as you understand it, Senator Huffines, mean? Well, I just step back a little bit and look at it from the perspective that the fundamental role of government is to defend our God-given liberty. The founders of our country knew that. They created a constitution that restrains government because they knew the biggest threat to what God had already given us, our liberty, our freedoms, was the very government they were creating. So I look at local, local control. I look at it as... I like to emphasize the second word, control. I'm not big on control at all, whether it's local, state, or federal. So I have three, stool, three legs to the stool that I look at on, on, your, on your question there, and that is, does, it, does local control, does it, do they violate state law? Does a local government violating state law? Is it enhancing our economic liberty, mm -hmm. job creation? Mm -hmm. And does it enhance uh, liberty and freedom? Clay Jenkins is Dallas County Judge. He was elected uh, in 2010. I think it's safe to say a political novice at the time, although he was not exactly a newcomer to politics altogether. His stepfather and mother were active in the Democratic Party for decades and both personal friends of former Governor Ann Richards. In fact, uh, Ron Kirk, the former Dallas mayor and one-time USTR, the trade representative, um, actually, as I understand it, recruited Jenkins to work on the Obama campaign, if I'm not mistaken. And it was uh, uh, Kirk among others, who talked him into running for county judge. Uh, Jenkins earned his J.D. from Baylor in 1987, and uh, he's practiced law in his own firm, mm -hmm. Jenkins & Jenkins. He remains uh, president of that firm, and he's also co-owner of Brown Dental Health Services, which has about 100 facilities in Texas. Judge Jenkins, uh, local control means what to you? Well, um, local control means that people um, get to make decisions in their own communities, um, and, I, and I, I don't want to correct the moderator, but actually the first group to come up with this slogan of local liberty is a national group called ALEC. And amongst their members are payday lenders, prison profiteers, and a whole host of people who need a horde of lobbyists to push for their agenda in state capitals around this country. And I, I, I know Don, and I know Don is a, is a good man. He's, he's, he's a friend. Um, but they find people that share their, the values of, of what they, they believe in, and they've got a pretty good handle on state capitals, and they don't want to spend the money to come down and try to do the same thing on city councils and school boards. And so they're trying to push that agenda um, you know, from, from the state level, and, and it's cheaper for them uh, to do that. But, but local liberty and liberty is being able to have control over your own lives. So in Denton, whether you agree or disagree... So by the fracking ban? Yeah. For some reason, those people didn't want um, oil derricks in their front yards or you know, on the walks to, to their kids' school. They, they, didn't, they didn't want that. And so they voted uh, to ban that. And um, the state legislature, it's, it's become a big, big government Republican nanny state, said no. You can't do that. And that's the opposite of liberty. Wait a minute, Judge. Did you, uh, you're a Democrat, and you just said nanny state? <laughs> that's what it's become. It's become a, 
Um, if, if the powers that be don't like what's going on in the local area, uh, then they overrule it. And, and Don, had, or Senator Huffines, rather, um, even had a bill that said, um, you know, n- no local ordinance uh, can go any further than, than where the, the state is going. And um, that's counterintuitive to what, what Republicans have always stood for. When I first met uh, Governor Perry, the first thing he told me is that he's a believer in local control. Um, and, you know, to say something nice about the other party, we went through Ebola together, and uh, Governor Perry recognized that the people that were closest to the situation were the people that could make the best decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really have a Texas miracle. I love my state, but we've gone from third, uh, according to Gover- Governing Magazine and Economic um, Viability, to 21st. But you've got places like Austin and Dallas. Dallas is number one in the nation, according to Forbes for Jobs. Um, and it's because of the business community, the chambers of commerce, the charitable community, and the local governments and the school boards in those areas that are making that happen. Um, so if we really want to see uh, a, a strong Texas, we'll leave local government alone so that we can do our job and let the state go out and talk about that Texas miracle that's being created by the metro areas uh, in our state. Representative Chris Patty is the current state representative for District 9. Uh, Representative Patty is former mayor and city commissioner of Marshall, which is in Harrison County, and he is the current general manager of KMHT Radio, where he hosts a daily radio show. Uh, In the Texas... (laughs) <laughs> in the Texas House, he serves on the uh, State Affairs Licensing Calendars and Select uh, uh, and the Select Committee on State and Federal um, uh, Relations. Uh, there's a better name for that: State State Federal Powers. 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 That's what it is. Something like that. Yeah, <laughs> sounds a lot better, indeed. Uh, he's the Say former chairman wants. of the uh, Greater Marshall Chamber of Commerce and president of the Boys and Girls Club in the Big Pines. Uh, Representative Patty was born in Center, Texas, and raised in Carthage. Uh, he graduated from Carthage High School and is a graduate of Texas A&M University, where he studied industrial distribution. <laughs> Aggie, at least one. Uh, one. Uh, You're the one. Among the Longhorns. Right. Uh, so, uh, Representative... Uh, is that Michael? That's Michael. Just checking. <laughs> Representative, uh, when you hear this conversation about local control, I think a lot of people have thought that Republicans own that issue. I'm hearing Democrats wanting to sort of... Uh, sees this as a, as a mantle. Well, I, I think it's certainly an interesting discussion. And, and for me, I, I often joke that, you know, I, as you mentioned in the bio, I'm a recovering locally elected official myself. And so I understand uh, a lot of the positions uh, that uh, folks at the local level have. And, and I probably will tend to agree with, with them on a lot more issues than maybe some of my colleagues do. And, mm-hmm. and uh, because I've been there and, and I've seen how, uh, what it takes uh, to work at that local level. And so it, it is, uh, uh, for me, and of course one of the things that will get brought up, and you, you may want to ask this question today, would have to do with ride sharing. Obviously I carried the bill that, that uh, developed statewide regulations uh, for that. And so, you know, to me there, there's a difference depending on the area of conversation, whether you're talking about uh, economic situations, which I would de- describe in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to taxes, Got a little bit different view there. I, I think uh, at the local level, uh, I don't know that it's necessarily appropriate for me at the state level uh, to tell uh, local citizens um, 
what amount of government they should have when it comes to, to taxes. I think the people at the local level should get the amount of level of government that they, that they desire and are willing to pay for. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, because there are some who will say, and I believe Governor Abbott would take this line, that there's a balancing act that has to be done here. That, yeah, there may be things that local governments would prefer, but when you're a state, you're trying to attract business, uh, as Governor Abbott would, would tell you, you don't want a patchwork of laws where businesses are trying to comply with this and that. And they want to know when they come to Texas, here's what they're going to expect, and this is the kind of business climate. And in a, in a sense, I think a lot of people have made the case that that's worked for Texas pretty well over the years. Uh, so uh, is the definition of local control changing? Is that what's happening here? What's going on? I don't know that the definition is changing. I, I think... Um or is it just a means to an end? I mean, let's, uh, not to be cynical about it, but, I mean, look, when, if you have Democrats in charge and you have Republicans in local government, maybe the means to an end, maybe that's a, a, a kind of a justification. I can remember, maybe lots of y'all can remember. I remember when I first heard local control, and it was back in the 1980s, and William Bennett was Secretary of Education, making a big deal. I mean, you're shaking your head. You remember this. Making a big de- My parents, who were educators, were apoplectic about this, mind you. But he was making a big deal about how testing was important to do because of accountability, but also the, the fundamental nature of local control is being essential to uh, good education for kids, that, that communities need to determine how kids are educated. This is a big conversation. Right. So um, if, if, it, if it's good for Republicans in the 80s and 90s and the aughts, why is it not working in Texas for Republicans now? Well, I, you know, the, again, the issue of local control, I think it, one of the problems you have when you start getting into a, a um, addressing it at the state level or, or, you know, we complain about the federal government quite a bit as well and, and, and overreach that we may perceive that, uh, to be happening there, is that not every community is the same. And I would agree with you 100% that uh, that local school district and administrator, superintendent, parents, they know best how to, uh, what the needs are of those students and population that they serve. And so I would agree with you. Same with the local elected officials. I knew better as mayor of my town what the infrastructure needs were, what the challenges we had from uh, law enforcement to fixing potholes to you name it, uh, much more so than, than someone that might be sitting down on the 20th floor of a building in Austin. So uh, I, I have an appreciation, a strong appreciation for local government. Now, I, I do believe one of the fundamental um, things that government should do is protect, uh, protect you individually from your neighbor harming you, and that could be physical harm, obviously, for the law enforcement, but that could be economically. Uh, you know, it was mentioned the, the, the fracking ban, uh, for example. That was an interesting issue. Uh, and I, generally speaking, I respect the, the will of voters when it comes, but I know when I was on the city commission, when I was mayor, I didn't have any members who were in the oil and gas business, who had the level of expertise to understand what was going on and, and could make a true scientific uh, factual argument as to why this was good or a bad thing. We have a state agency in this state called the Railroad Commission mm-hmm. uh, that is charged with that duty. Uh, and then you get into a whole other issue on that uh, of, a, of a taking. If, if, I, if I'm allowing you to prevent, or you're, uh, you're being allowed to prevent me from taking my property out of the ground, then there, there's a taking issue that's going on there too. And so that, that was a very, pretty complicated uh, Deal. It wasn't just the fact that, hey, we were not honoring the will of voters. There were some very legitimate economic concerns and private property right concerns. Well, the issue of Uber's come up. Um, how intimately were you involved uh, in, in that when 
there were all these arguments over whether or not the will of the people of Austin should be respected uh, versus the legislature stepping in. Well, I and my um, Travis County colleagues fought hard to defend the will of the Austin voters to have that adi those additional safety protections on ride sharing that that they voted for. So. Um, we, we, lost, we lost that fight, but I, but I want to address one other thing. I do think that, that this division on local control or this flip, um, since Democrats were in charge now with Republicans in charge, I don't think it's an expediency thing. I, I, that might be part of it, but there is a real philosophical divide and a difference. I think you'll see Democrats, when we are in favor of... Um, federal government oversight, for instance, or sometimes even state. It's about protections of civil rights. Many of us believe education, for instance, is a civil right. And so are, there are certain rights that Democrats don't feel local governments should be able to right away. My sense of, and I'm sorry to speak for Republicans, I really have no business speaking for Republicans because I, <laughs> I don't know exactly what the motivation is, but my sense is for the Republican Party, property rights um, seem to be tantamount to the civil rights. But yes, on, back to on ride sharing, for us, our co community, look, I represent, this is my district, we're sitting in it. So we have 50,000 university students who are moving in this community. And um, everybody's heard of Sixth Street and know, remember when you were in college? There are issues with safety and alcohol and young people that, that are unique to my community that other communities don't have to deal with. And so if my community decides we need more safety, those decisions should be respected. Senator Huffines, I think you might have a, a rejoinder or no. What do you think about the way that things unfolded with Austin and Uber? Oh, well, I, I'm, I had a bill on that, and Representative Patty's bill is one we passed. I had one in the Senate. My approach is just a free market approach. I trust the free market. I trust millions of Texans a day to make the best decision of how they want to get in and out of a ride-sharing uh, car or company more than I trust 181 people in the state legislature. I, my bill is really to level the playing field. And I look at it as you got taxis and limo drivers fighting uh, the TNC companies, and my bill is deregulating everybody, mm -hmm. leveling it all out there and let the consumer choose. I'm trying to find a, a common strand here, though, between Uber and uh, the uh, fracking ban. And, uh, what, is there a principle that ties these together as issues of local control that we can sort of extract something from that that's, that's, helps us understand... Uh, how we can move forward, perhaps even in a bipartisan way. Maybe that's impossible. Is it possible? I, I think it's absolutely possible. I mean, I, I think that what you were hinting at is, is when you were talking about local control being a political expediency and whether mm -hmm. we could all kind acknowledge of a means that. to an end, in a sense. Um, I think we can acknowledge that neither party has a monopoly on hypocrisy. Um, both parties <laughs> have, uh, you know, you can clap, it's fine. Um, <laughs> In, in both parties' history, uh, um, sore losers have utilized the, the cry of, of local control as a second bite at the apple, a do-over at a lower level of government, um, as it were. But what we're seeing, actually, is a reverse on that. And Lyft is a good example, uh, I'm sorry, Uber is a good example of that. 
um, the, the initiative at the local level was to require all rideshare companies, not just Uber, but all rideshare companies in a level playing field to do fingerprint background checks so that we could assure that the driver didn't have a criminal background, didn't have a criminal history. Um, it was not uh, uh, upending the, the private market system or creating an unlevel playing field. Um, Uber, which was uh, so huge and had moved into this community and had uh, essentially created a monopoly because it was just so big, um, refused and spent $9 million, $9 million to defeat a local bill and actually put up their own bill, funded judge, their own judge, bill. Judge, what's the danger? And I think this is where I think a lot of conservatives push back on it. They, they'll say, was there really that... Was that danger as existential as it was made out to be? Was this really a, a big issue for the? How big of an issue was it in the first place? But, but we, beyond that, but it, it, I, I'm, I'm an ex-prosecutor, and uh, I did a lot of family violence, and we do a, a lot of sexual assault cases. And as Gina uh, alluded to, we have a very young population here, um, and a vulnerable population. Um, I, I, all of the rideshare companies were already doing criminal background checks. It was just a question of whether it was going to be a fingerprint criminal background check. When a very large corporation that had essentially monopolized the industry spent $9 million and lost, and here's where the reversal comes in, they, they went to the next layer of government for a do-over, for a second bite at the apple. To the legislature's Right. Um, so what we're seeing here is in... Uh, what we're seeing is that in the absence of leadership at the state level, the vacuum that's created is filled by in, entrenched power. Um, and this entrenched power would prefer no regulation whatsoever because in, it, in its vacuum, those who already have the power keep the power. Something that I've heard, and I'm sure we've all heard this from uh, conservatives, uh, is that there's very little to restrain city officials from passing new ordinances. And there's a whole lot of political incentive to do so. And, and given that, that baked-in uh, dynamic, shouldn't there be control so that you don't have a, 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 a whole lot of laws that do affect uh, uh, the larger state interests ultimately? That would make sense to me if I were not a county official. Cities can do everything that the Texas legislature does not specifically prevent them from doing, whereas counties can only do that which the legislature specifically uh, uh, provides to us to do. And yet even counties, which are essentially the withered arm of state government at the local level, even counties are upbraided by the legislature for leading in the vacuum. Even with our uh, tiny toolbox of, of uh, regulatory authority, which is specifically provided by the state. So when a large interest loses at the local level, even to the county, which is circumscribed by the state by, by constitution, um, they, they, go up, they go above us and knock us out. But you started to say there's a way that we can come together on this issue. How do, we, how, how do you begin to see some common ground here? I think that we can have a reasoned conversation about a balance between local innovation and the need for statewide certainty in the business community. Um, the business community does not like uncertainty. Um, and I understand that. We can find a balance between local innovation and local experimentation. Um, 
against a standardization where necessary to provide business certainty. When you're saying experimentation, it's reminding me of, I forget, was it, was it Reagan who uh, talked about the states as sort of laboratories for the American democracy? So what you're suggesting is, in a way, Texas cities could serve that same kind of function? Cities and counties, yes. Yeah. I, I, could I say something, Dave? Yes, sir. I, I just want to address the judge's comments there, and she's correct in the sense that the state legislature has not only the authority to regulate cities and counties, even home rule cities or general law cities, but we've got the obligation to regulate them. And that's how I look at it. We, I don't want to micromanage local government. I was going to say, you're a non-control guy, yeah, right? I mean, I, we're no, I don't think anybody in legislature really does. We're not sitting around there thinking we're going to micromanage cities or counties. And we got a lot of other things to work on. And, but we do have an obligation to oversee what they're doing. Their authority comes from the state legislature. Um, I want to make sure that, oh my goodness gracious, are we out of Good Lord have mercy. Do we, can we get in a couple of questions? Can we try that? Let's give it a go. Do, does anyone have any questions? Because I'd love to open this up, and I didn't realize that the time had gotten away from us. Oh, it's only nine. We have, we have some. Yeah. Yeah. It's an hour. Thank it's goodness. Hour. Oh, my gosh. I thought we'd. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll see you all later. Um, <laughs> uh, well, then, then let's continue. What, we've, we've, li- we've mentioned just a couple of issues. We mentioned fracking. Right? We've, we've talked about Uber. What, what are the other issues that are in play here for Texas? Let me tell you one. Right now, uh, I'm confident Sarah is doing the same thing. Um, I'm doing everything that I can uh, to get Amazon to move headquarters to, uh, to North Texas. Austin's way better. And, <laughs> okay. Agree, Agree to disagree. Food folks out there, we're way cooler. Agree to disagree, but you're great. One of the things that that we're hamstrung on is they've got a young, vibrant workforce, and young people generally judge others by the content of their ability and their character. They don't care whether that who that person loves. They don't care where that person was born or where their parents were born. So right now, I'm dealing with um, this bathroom bill and this idea. You know, I, I teach 11-year-olds confirmation at my church. And one thing I know as a dad and as a Sunday school teacher is it is hard out there to be a kid, right? And it is probably hard enough to be a transgendered kid in school um, without having the state tell you which bathroom you have to go to and that you have to go to a bathroom uh, with people who um identify as the opposite sex as you, and probably you're going to beat the tar out of you every now and again. Well, ultimately, the bathroom bill did not pass in Joe's It didn't, grass. but the, the quell of that, and that was all started, um, it was, you know, I, part of it cynically, I think, was just a poll, but it was a response to school districts, conservative school districts, in conservative Republican places like Fort Worth, saying, you know what, we're going to protect our children we're going to let them go to the bathroom that they identify. Well, Judge, there was something that happened before that, and that was that the Department of Education and the Department of Justice and the Obama administration sent a memorandum to all schools in the nation. Dict- uh, not dictating, I shouldn't say dictating, but it was um, suggesting what, what they should do, how they should handle these bathrooms. And some saw, saw the whole local control thing writ large in that memo. It was as if the the... the 
the Obama administration was bigfooting the issue. Local control came right into play then, right? It's as if, the, as, to go back to Gina's point, it's as if the Department of Justice is protecting the civil rights of a vulnerable population of children. And, <laughs> and, and now what ends up happening is if Sarah and I have to swim upstream against our competitors in Denver and Boston and New York and Atlanta because the state has not passed an anti-discrimination law and because now we have uh, this bill that it has sucked all the oxygen out of the room and, and labeled us as an inhospitable place for a chunk of people's workforce. And so if it's another example of this you know, big Republican government nanny state uh, situation. You want to find a way for us to all work together? Listen to your chambers of commerce. You guys are killing us down here. I mean, just let us do our jobs. Let us get these businesses in here. Let us keep getting those awards from Forbes and other magazines for being the best place in the country to do business. It does not help us when you put out a billboard that says, you're not welcome here. I'm going to bolster here. Um, we spend 365 days a year trying to uh, uh, create and uphold community standards in Dallas and in Fort Worth and in Travis County and Denton County and Victoria and places like that. And when the legislature spends, uh, you know, spends their time um, putting forward weaponized legislation that actually doesn't govern, it really messes up our world. Uh, I noticed you used weaponized legislation. There are, there are a lot of words that have gone about in this session and, and thereafter. And I'm almost wondering if words like local control and local liberty are kind of getting us hung up. Even just hearing our conversation right here, is there, should we even be discussing this? Is there a better way to talk about this issue? Lo something different from local control? Would that help? I think that I, I think that all of us would probably agree that there are areas where standardization across the state creates the necessary um, stability for government mm -hmm. and for prosperity. I think that that's something that we would all agree about. Well, one one area would be in preemption on cell phone use. That was a governor's call in the, in the, in the special session. I happened to carry that bill for him. And we don't, the states always take the primacy role, what happens behind the wheel of a car, and that's the whole idea on that. So we don't need hundreds of cities passing different laws how you use your cell phone. I'm wondering if there might be a way that there can be an agreement on what we can, what are local issues, what are state issues? I mean, mm -hmm. can, can we find a common ground there? Well, I, I think as a freshman legislator, um, I had to learn how to move an agenda that, and, and to avoid those weaponized terms yeah, right. or words, right? And so I do think there is, I, I don't know what the alternative is, but absolutely there are these high-profile issues that seem to divide and define our, our, our parties. And so if we can work in space, and that's how we were able to do what we did this session. I mean, you've heard a lot of agreement here yeah. on this panel, and... But so when you can talk about the underlying issues and why something makes sense and not knee-jerk it as oh, local control versus um, local liberties, whatever, 
uh, I think that there is a way to find common ground and to move forward um, on policy. Why do you think trees got under Governor Abbott's skin? Developers. Any ideas? Developers. Developers. Oh, I disagree. I think it's a, a private property issue. I mean, who owns the trees? If you watered the trees in your yard, you fertilized them, you planted them, and now the city regulatorily basically condemns the trees and say that you can't trim them, you can't remove them without the paying a fine or, or, mitiga- or mitigating that, those, that vegetation. I mean, who owns the trees? Essentially, the city now has confiscated your vegetation on your property. And the most onerous thing about the tree ordinance to me is that they've extended it to the ETJs, extraterritorial jurisdiction, which can run five miles outside the farthest point of any city limit line. So you can have a ranch that literally could be five miles up or ten miles from almost because you can strip annex down a highway or something, the city can and everybody on that ranch, you cannot touch your tree on that ranch. You can't touch your tree on that property, right? And I find that just a private property issue. I very much wish I had that authority countywide and not just in the ETJ. And this is why. Because local uh, uh, property rights in the state of Texas, I've often said this, and some of you may have heard this before, property rights in the state of Texas is only for those who are wealthy enough to defend them. Um, So I will give you two very specific examples that are real examples from Travis County. Um, When a developer inside the ETJ is called upon by the city of Austin to come under their tree ordinance, which just means protect the urban canopy, um, because it's important to us. It is a community resource. It has a big role to play in in, uh, the cleanliness of our air. Uh, and the livability of our community. When they're called upon to come under the tree ordinance, which is to you know, protect the tree or pay into a mitigation fund, which is a fairly reasonable and level playing field, uh, they lawyer up and they go, uh, they go defend themselves at great expense um, to the city council. Conversely, when I have a community in the unincorporated area that has a cement batch plant move in next door to it and pollute its community well with benzene, they don't lawyer up. TCEQ shuts down their community well, their only source of water, and those folks are too poor to defend themselves. And the only entity that can come in, because the only entity that represents them, is the county. There is no other governmental entity to represent them. So we come in and we try and get them water. Um, we don't sue the batch plant. We don't have standing to sue the batch plant as the commissioner's court. We just try and get that community some clean water. So... Really, the developer has resources to defend his property rights. Those folks up in that community stuck between Williamson County and Travis County straddling that line, they don't have the ability to well, defend What, their what about all rights. the homeowners that, that might not have an ability to pay for an attorney? Look, it, to me, it's, it's a simple issue. Who owns the trees? As simple as that. And you, look, you can say that, that all these are good for the community, then what's the incentive? Why don't you create an incentive for people to keep, create their trees where you would give them more density on their zoning, you could give them waivers on building permit fees? Is any of that a state issue? Are any of those solutions? A I state, think private property uh, rights issue. is always a state issue. When you trample the liberty of those someone who owns, those solutions are all county yeah. and city yeah, regulatory issues, and we find the balance every day. As a matter of yeah, fact, my developer not, community um, acquiesces to county regulations. That I'm going to I'm going to tell you all a secret. Some of our county regulations are not totally 
weren't totally um, uh, uh, given to us by the state legislature. But the developer I mean they were written by somebody else? No, well, they, they're a smidge beyond what the legislature actually says we're supposed to be doing. But the developer, <laughs> community, the developer community acquiesces to it because we create a, a floor that is a better floor for their competition. They don't want uh, Miquiladores and, and Colonias and Travis County, so they want us to set a higher standard to keep bad developers from coming in and building you know, schlock um, and undercutting them. Well, that, that, that's one of my pet peeves, really. What I'm focused on next session is to make sure that when, when the cities or government political subdivisions violate state law, there's recourse, all right? to the person that's being violated, whether it's the business or a citizen. And I'll give you a perfect example right now. The investigative reporters just did a thing on red light cameras, right? Right. right here. And the cities who we trust to obey state law have been violating state law, issuing thousands if tens of thousands of red light tickets, right, illegally, because they never followed state law how they installed the cameras. And, and what's the recourse to a citizen that gets a $75 ticket? Well, I can sue the city. I mean, really? Well, there's no, there's no recourse in that. Or it, you're going to get what? Not have to pay your red light ticket because they violated the state law? I'm encouraging everybody to, to sue the city and get their money back with interest. Or another idea. If a county refuses to approve the plat because of the lot size, they don't have authority to regulate lot size, right? But if they refuse to do that, what's the recourse? If you wanted to get a driveway cut and the city steps on your liberty, your freedom, and what the state says is the rules and regulations, how these political subdivisions are going to operate, what's your recourse? Hire an attorney, spend $150,000, go to district court, and what happens? Maybe the judge will say, hey, you need to approve their plat. You violated state law. Three years later, you get your plat approved. You spend $150,000, Right. There's, you don't get your attorney bills back. There's no damages, and they can't be sued for personal liability. So they're not personally. There's no personal recourse. There's no recourse to the citizens. I am focused. I really we have am. the ability to vote out our city council members and our commissioners' court if they fail well, let, to uh, to to exercise their. A very good point. But let me say, when you have district city council members and you got 14 members like in Dallas, you really get to deal with one, right? And, and, and that is not good recourse. Well, let's the courts talk about need to have... The city, my, well, anyway, real quick. My, my legislation will give at least an opportunity for citizens to have their attorney bills re, reimbursed and paid for if you prevail against a political subdivision. I'm the same with the state. It doesn't matter to me. I think the state should be held accountable, and I think the federal government should be held accountable. But I really want, trust the citizens to have recourse against government. Let's talk about Dallas for a second. I've talked about how we're number one in jobs. You know what else we're number one in? We're the number one heat island uh, in the United States. Um, and we need trees, and we want trees. And we buried four people um, after the May floods of, of 2015 in Dallas, and Talking about local control, boy, the state was all over local control over the last month while we've been housing 3,000 of our neighbors uh, from southeast Texas because of global warming and a monster flood uh, that they've had down there. Um, the 59% of the people in the city of Dallas rent. They may rent a house. They may rent an apartment. N- 99% of the people who own a home are not concerned about developing their land. 
they're concerned about that asthma is the number one cause of absenteeism from school. They're concerned about that it's getting hotter every year and our people are dying from that heat. I've got a, a group of men and women who go out um, every day in the summer just to take window units to poor people, to little old ladies, uh, to try to combat that heat. So when we're trying to balance the rights of developers, if that's what pro- private property right is, with the rights of everybody else, it shouldn't be called local control. It should be called people's rights. And we should look at... We should look at, when it comes to state things, what are state things that are baseline protections of your civil and and property and other rights? And then when it comes to making decisions about what people want, people vote with their feet. They move to urban areas like Austin um, and Dallas, and they want certain things in those areas, and they elect people to their school boards, their city councils, their commissioner's court to reflect their values. And who is the state legislature to tell them they know best uh, any more than I am am better to tell the people of Marshall uh, how to run their lives. Um, If if we really care about uh, our our constituents and the people that live there, then we'll respect the choices that they make. Would the representative from Marshall like to uh, weigh in on that? You know, I think a lot of discussion about urban areas up here. Just for a little note here, I represent six counties rural counties in this state in East Texas. And, you know, in some of these issues, it's, it's interesting at times because I, I don't want to look like I'm not paying attention, but some of these things, we don't have the same issues that, that these guys are arguing about and, and talking about. And have, Don't have big Uber following? In- well, well, actually, I'm, gonna, I'm about to get to that uh, to kind of reinforce my point there. But we need to kind of step back here and first of all realize, you know, I, I represent a rural district. First and foremost, as elected representatives, we are sit here, I'm sent here by the citizens of six counties in East Texas to represent them, to focus on things that they want me to focus on. And, and I pride myself in being very engaged in my community and really having my finger on the pulse of what are, is important to my folks. And so when I come here, my perspective is based on the people I represent. And that may be very different. I recognize it is very different than, than Gina's uh, constituents and, and others that are represented here today, and I, and I appreciate and recognize that very much. But to your point on the Uber thing, uh, when on that issue, because some would ask, well, you represent you know, six counties in rural East Texas. Why do you care about this issue? And why have you cared about it for two sessions? Well, next week, ride-sharing is launching in four cities in East Texas. Uh, one of them is the one I live in. And, and uh, one that's just adjacent there as well. And so my goal was accomplished. My goal was to make sure that the people I represent have some of the same opportunities that people have in other places. And that came about because of statewide regulations and that certainty there that allowed someone to scale up to the point of being able to serve a community of 25,000 people or 60,000 people, uh, these smaller communities that we represent. And so... That's where my focus was. It was nothing against Austin or Dallas or a county judge or a mayor or anything like that. It was about my people and, and what was in the best interest of my people. And we're going to see the fruits of that next week as it relates to that issue. So that, that was my motivation uh, when it came to that. But first and foremost, I'm here to represent the interest of the people that sent me here. We are uh, Now we are looking at 15 minutes away <laughs> from the end of our hour. Um, but we do have two, a couple of microphones, and we'd love to give you the opportunity 
to uh, ask questions of our panel. They obviously know their stuff here. So please take, this up, take, take advantage of this opportunity. And if you would, please, a couple of things that the folks at the Tribune have asked us to do. State, state your name, uh, where you're from. And if you uh, could, please refrain from a speech. If you have a question, get to it so others can, so the question can be answered and others have an opportunity to ask a question. Yes, sir. Uh, Joshua Kumler. I live in Dallas as well. There's a big community uh, support right now for a uh, we. Uh, Representative Patty mentioned taxes. It's big community support for a tax ratification election to happen to uh, fund our schools because, as some of the other panels today are going to talk about, the state is not adequately doing that. Um, so we. <laughs> There is a state law saying that the school board vote to have a tax ratification election requires a supermajority. Now, if it was a simple majority, we would have already had that election last year. But because of that state law, we've failed now for the second time. And intractable school board members are, are not y'all's problem. Um, but there's also talk of another bill saying that if there were to be a tax ratification election, it would need to win by 60% instead of 50%. So talking about taxes and how that needs to be under local control, how does that jive with these, this state law and another possible state law that seems to limit that, that same local control? Let me speak to that since I'm from Dallas and I'm also frustrated by um, what's going on with the schools in this uh, ratification situation. We just turned down a two-penny swap, which would cost the taxpayers no money. It would have netted us $42 million. <clears throat> Very frustrating. Uh, I've got friends of mine that I believe voted wrong on that uh, issue. Um, but that is one of the issues... And, and that, that goes back to these state supermajority bills, some of the things that the state is doing. Now, some of that is really on a, us locally, but that's another issue we're dealing with with headquarters, too, is the lack of adequate funding for education in Texas, which primarily, I'm sure, is focused on the lack of Austin uh, and that baseline funding. But people have not missed that at the local level we've lacked the will to even do a two-penny swap. So I hope what you'll do is go home and talk to our friends about the effect that that is having. Um, whatever the reason for that political infighting is, we're seeing it at the level of economic development. People are noticing. They certainly notice Texas is not funding education. And now, you know, we're getting a black eye because of this ratification uh, situation uh, in Dallas. I, I agree with you, though. It would be great if the state would go back and make it to where the voters get a choice if half of the school board um, uh, puts that up. Because the polls are showing in Dallas that 70% of the voters want to do the two-penny swap and get the $42 million in free money, but personalities aren't allowing the voters the opportunity to do that and the state law that prohibits it. It's not allowing our voters to do that. Next question, please. David Billings, I'm the city council of City of Fate, so thank you for doing this today. I'm Here's sorry, City of what? City of Fate. Okay. Uh, that's their Rockwell County. Okay. Uh, I spent about 17 hours this year um, testifying in the state senate on various bills for and against, right? And I, what, what struck me the most was that the state senators 
most time do not want to engage the local governments or city council or mayors to understand our positions, our challenges, and what we want to do. They're lumping, you know, big city issues with small city issues, making very broad statements uh, without a lot of local facts and details. I'd like you to comment on that, please. Certainly I can. Well, I, I can't speak for the whole Senate, but I can tell you that me that I personally have been to in my career probably a hundred different city council mem- meetings. Uh, I'm pretty familiar with how cities work, very familiar, and I don't think they have an easy task. And I'm not against cities. I'm not a war against cities or counties, but it is, it, but it is a war against overreaching government and the heavy hand of government. And I'm going to come out and defend the people every chance I get when the heavy hand of government is very heavy and is coming around and slapping everybody around. So uh, I think the Senate and I think the Republicans understand more than you think about how cities operate. We've got a lot of members in our, in our chamber that were formerly on councils and were mayors and on school boards. So I, I think we understand it more than it may be than you might realize. Hi, my name is Cam Johnson. I'm from Denton, Texas. Um, and I was wondering, uh, it really seems like the discourse between uh, our urban centers and the legislature is becoming more and more of a Republican versus Democrat issue. And I was wondering if you guys could comment on how that's kind of affected the political climate in Texas and also how these conversations between the really big cities and the legislature is having sort of an effect on rural communities. I know we kind of touched on that a little bit, but if you could go a little bit more in depth. I think that it's actually, um, uh, uh, statistically, objectively, it's a, it's a false dichotomy that the, the urban areas are Democrat and the legislature uh, is, is Republican-dominated. Actually, the Conference of Urban Counties, um, which represents all the counties that are over 30,000 in the state, is predominantly a Republican organization. Um, and the Conference of Urban Counties is uh, every day up at the legislature trying to um, slow the roll of this um, this uh, very heavy-handed state state overreach. So actually, that that's a that's a Republican-dominated organization. And then with regard to the the rural counties, and I'm speaking for counties because I'm a county creature, um, but we we share a lot of the same issues. Half of the territory in Travis County is unincorporated. There are 23 separate municipalities, so 21 of those municipalities are less than 10,000 people. Um, And we still have a significant ranch and farm community in Travis County. So I share a lot of the same concerns as as, um, Chris over here with regard to the, the rural counties. I have to balance both the rural and the urban interests inside my own county. Um, and and come up with a standard that works both for the rural and the urban population. But I do think that this uh, the person who asked this question in the last one hit on something. I do see a big a bigger difference almost between urban and rural on the issues at the legislature than I do Democrat and Republican. And it and really and it, and it occurred to me as I was sitting on the Homeland Security Committee listening to people who wanted to allow churchgoers to carry guns and act as security in their churches because what if there was you know people there were there's a band of people trying to get in and I said well then I asked well, what then call the police and so someone explained to me well where we live it takes 
an hour for police to get there. And so it's just a different world. And so when, when we're sitting at the state level trying to create policy, I think it's so important that we remember that's why the local governments are best situated to figure these things out because we can't, one size does not fit all in a state of this diversity in terms of people, geography, et cetera. We need to remember local controls where, where those decisions should be made. Yes, ma'am. Hi, I'm Robin Schneider with Texas Campaign for the Environment, and uh, I live here in Austin. We have offices in Dallas and Houston. Um, And we've been uh, working on the issue of single-use bags. Communities as diverse as Fort Stockton, Freer, Brownsville, and Austin have bag ordinances. This issue is being argued before the state Supreme Court on January 11th. I'm wondering um, if I can hear from all the panelists where you stand on that and if you're willing to get involved with amicus briefs or anything else. It'd be great to just go one by one. I'd like to hear where each panelist stands on the whole bag thing. You want to start? Well, as you know, um, my position on that is that local government should be have the ability to regulate these things. And in fact, I had a bill on this issue, and for the first time it made it out of committee. Um, didn't get calendared on for a House floor vote, but my, yes. my position is, is, is clear. Um, you know, I think fundamentally I probably am not on the same side on the issue. But again, to my point of if I go back home to my six counties and I ask about this issue, people are going to look at me like I'm crazy. We, this is not. They just don't care. They don't care. <laughs> uh, this is, you know, and, and this is, and I agree with Gina's point a little bit earlier too, that our issues are far more urban rural these days than they are Republican, Democrat. And that's evident, particularly in the House, when you see. Uh, the coalitions that form on particular issues, some education issues, and a lot of these other issues as well. You know what? That's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I actually, it's one of the things I really love about the House is it's it's not necessarily about I can't do you know something with Gina because she's a Democrat. You know, so gosh, I can't I can't uh, lock arms with her different on this particular. Yeah. yeah, so it's much different. I love that. I think we get better policy and we're better served overall. The state's better served when we're willing to do that. I'm, we have no monopoly on the good ideas, and I and I accept that uh, fully. But, you know, so much of the the issues, the urban-rural thing earlier, too, is that a frustrating thing, I think, for rural communities is there are bad actors in some case, or, you know, if you want to call them that, on a particular issue. And then we're the legislature. We try to kill a gnat with a sledgehammer. And and my communities are then affected uh, when they've done nothing wrong. I mean, I don't care if you're talking about property tax issues and some of these other issues of this session. Uh, I can look back at years and years of data, and this is not an issue uh, that's being abused in any way in my communities. And so there's a frustration there, too, that says, hey, guys, we're, you know, we're working really hard to, to do the right thing here, and we're, you know, we're not getting out of line, and we're getting lumped in with the bad guys. Uh, not saying anyone's a bad guy here, but that's a frustration we have in our rural communities. Is that, you know, we're in, we're in, in some cases, no-growth communities, and... and we're getting caught up in fights that are related to fast growth communities and, and what their needs are and things like that. They're about to kick us out of here. Uh, but I'd like to get one more question in, if I, if we could. And I know I wanted to go down the panel. Does anyone else want to weigh in on the bag thing? I'd just say we should, uh, the court case is about uh, political subdivisions obeying state law. We should obey state law, and I think what judges are going to rule that way. And I'll just say we had a bag ban in Dallas. Uh, it worked great. Uh, you could uh, canoe down the Trinity River without uh, being confronted with a hundred hundred thousand 
plastic bags for a little bit there. Um, the issues evolved. I wouldn't be a good son if I didn't mention my mama's in the audience. <laughs> when I was getting mama's stuff out of her car last night, I noticed that she had her reusable shopping bags. Um, remember, when it hits the ground in Dallas, uh, it runs down the river to your, com- your rural community if you live anywhere south of Dallas. And, this, you know, the same thing. So if urban areas uh, don't want to pollute uh, with the bags, then you ought to give the local voters the opportunity to not do that. Yes, sir. Yeah, my name is uh, David Matuszczyk. I'm from uh, from Austin, Texas here. And uh, you guys have talked a lot about, um, you know, local control or yeah, local versus state power, um, as well as, you know, Republicans, Democrats, and now urban and rural. Uh, but uh, in my mind, uh, when it comes to local control, really the most local you can get is the actual individual themselves, not necessarily the, the city government. And there's plenty of times where city government will trample upon, you know, the, the right of, you know, of, of self-expression, um, you know, the right to have, you know, property rights and, and a bunch of other different things uh, that will kind of get in the way of the agency and the autonomy and the ability to, you know, truly be ourselves. Uh, and so uh, what do you all think about the idea of instead of talking about, you know, Republican versus Democrat ideas or urban versus rural, looking at how can we maximize the, the freedom and the agency of each individual in this state um, as, and give them as much freedom as possible up until they start to have what's called negative externalities? And it's, it can be very difficult trying to figure that out, especially with like the, the fracking ban. You have this idea of, okay... Uh, we want to have property rights, right, for, for the people in Denton. But at the same time, you want to make sure that there's not negative externalities that affect other people. So that's sort of, what do you all think about the paradigm of, of, of thinking in terms of, uh, of, you know, human freedom and agency and making sure that they have those as long as they don't, you know, have negative externalities? And I feel like, I mean, you all are talking about how can uh, Republicans, Democrats get together. And that, uh, to me, that, that feels like something that, you know, is a, like a philosophically sound argument of or a framework of thinking about that uh, instead of just sort of like... I, th- I think we got yeah. your question. The, the philosophical framework uh, is what you're well, suggesting. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, totally exa- in and instead of just... <laughs> I was thinking that... <laughs> I'm totally in agreement with him, and that's what I'm working on to help you out. And, and I am too, and I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of... Uh, um, uh, I feel a lot of resonance with many of the libertarian um, philosophies with regard to externalities. But let me give you an example where it just... It, 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 uh, we have a really difficult time with it. Um, water rights in the state of Texas, very much uh, near and dear. It's a property right. Uh, and it, and in, under state law, you're considered to own all the water under your property. But if you suck your neighbor dry, that's a negative externality. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the water but under rights. state law, you have a right to suck your neighbor dry. So the biggest, most powerful straw wins under state law. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the state is not something that should be exalted. It should be. It should come down to, you know, looking at how can we give agency, but at the same time, alas, yeah, alas, we are out of time. We officially <laughs> are out. Of, hey, I want to tell y'all something. A couple of quick things. First of all, y'all have been fantastic and some terrific questions. So uh, please, some applause for all. And one other thing, um, this is a. You're in the right place, by the way. This is a terrific track on cities. We got coming up one on one with Mike Rawlings. You know who Mike Rawlings is, Mayor of Dallas. Uh, we got uh, How Cities Are Tackling Climate Change, which is coming up. Just taking a look at this. This is just the city track, y'all. 
the limits of annexation, big city economics. Uh, hang around and hope you'll say hi to us and say hi to me. Thanks so much. <laughs>